Happy Mother's Day to all the mums. And um, I know that Mother's Day can be tough for some people, but I just wanted to remind us, you know, that find this to be a hard day. Psalms 38, 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So God never leaves us without an answer for whatever our life is and whatever life is thrown at us. So this morning, I want to share my story and um, for God's glory. And so it's really inspired me. The past couple of months, there's been a song that I've been listening to and I really love, uh, Matthew West, and it's called My Story, His Glory. And it says, in the, the chorus sort of says, My story, His glory. My pain, His purpose. My mess, His message. And in all things, he's working. And that's just so true of God that he, he never stops working. And so I do want to share my story about how I met Jesus today. And I just pray that your hearts will be encouraged, your faith will be stirred, and you'll just be reminded of where God has met you on your journey with him as well. Okay. So... Before Jesus, well, I was born in Brisbane and um, I've got two siblings. I'm the eldest of three kids. We had a stable home. Uh, Dad was an engineer, so we moved a little bit. We moved different states um, and he was always working. He wasn't really involved in our lives because he was working. Mum was there, obviously, took us to church. Um, when she went to church, I went to Sunday school. So from a young age, I can remember having a knowledge of God, like knowing that there was a God. So um, just before we t I turned 11, we moved up to Gove in the Northern Territory. It was a small mining town there, very isolated. But it was great. It was a really um, safe... You, f you could walk anywhere, day or night, and you just felt safe. So it was a really free way to live, you know, as kids. And um, sport was a huge part of the town's life. I think there's a lot of mining towns that sport is a big part of it. And being in a mining town, people tend to work hard, they play hard and they drink even harder. So that was the culture of the town. So we got really involved in sport. Still went to church if it didn't conflict with our sport games on the weekend. Um, and by the age of 14, life was just sport, boyfriends, going to parties, drinking at parties. Oh, no, I was still at school, obviously. And, um, but that's when I met Gaff. So you'll, you'll hear me refer to Gaff through my story. And that's my husband. That's Brett. And he's always been Gaff to me for as long as I've known him. So I hope I don't confuse anyone. <laughs> so... Um, at 15, uh, one of my girlfriends, so the school education standard wasn't that high and so a lot of kids uh, had an opportunity to go to boarding school and so one of my girlfriends was going away to boarding school and I thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea, that sounds like fun. Not that I wanted an education, I just wanted the fun. I'd read the Enid Blyton books. Did anyone read Enid Blyton, the naughtiest girl at school and all of those things? So it always sounded, it sounded really exciting, so... Um, and I had a very possessive boyfriend. I won't mention that name. But um, 
that it was good to um, be able to go away to school. And <clears throat> it was a really, it was a fun time. It was a good time. So <clears throat> I did my final two years of schooling there, my grade 11 and 12. So then towards the end of the first year when I was away at school, my mum's letters, because the only way back then of communicating was either a reverse charge phone call, which cost a packet, or writing letters. So mum was always writing me letters and her letters started to change. She started to write in her letters about being born again. And then she'd talk about Jesus like she actually knew him, like he was a friend. And I was curious because I'd always been curious about spiritual things. You know, I dabbled in Ouija boards, seances and all of that because to me that was sort of the only spirit realm I knew. Um, and so when I went home on, those, on the school holidays, uh, the Christmas holidays, uh, mum invited me to a meeting uh, where a guy was giving his testimony and um, I don't remember anything that he said but I had questions and so on the way home I'm just asking mum questions and she says, oh Joe, maybe it'd be good if he just came over and had a talk with you and I said, oh okay. So she invites him over and um, so we're just in the lounge room, mum's in the kitchen cooking and doing whatever, just leaving us to talk and again I have no recollection of anything he said to me apart from the words Joe Jesus is the one that sees you when you're all alone at night and there's no one else there he's there and in my mind and you know like I'm, a, I'm living at boarding school so I'm surrounded by people all the time I'm never like alone um, our dormitory we had five girls and we were all good friends but as long as we kept things really light, you know, and, and jovial and, and just fun, it was all right. But we didn't talk about the deeper things of, you know, what's the meaning of life type of thing. So anyway, so with him saying that, I thought to myself, well, if that's what Jesus can do for me, I want that. And so... When Jeff asked me at the end of our conversation if I'd like to know Jesus, I said, yeah. And so he just led me in a simple prayer and I prayed. I can still remember exactly where I was. I could take you to the house and the exact part of the floor I was kneeling on and my posture and everything, you know. And I prayed, don't remember what I prayed, but as I had my eyes closed, I saw, and I've always got to do this with my right hand because I know it was a right hand reaching down to me. And, and so I didn't think anything more of it. And then Jeff left. I went in and saw my mum and she said, are you okay? Because I was really mellow. And um, I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I just said, I, I prayed with Jeff and I said, I had this weird dream. And, you know, so I told her about this thing, this hand reaching down to me. And she got all excited and she said, oh, Joe, I believe that was a vision. That was God showing you that he's there for you and he was reaching down to you. And I went, oh, okay. And um, from that moment, I don't... Or when I went out and met my friends, from that moment on, um, I didn't want to... It was like my thinking changed. 
I had no idea about anything that had happened apart from this peace I had inside. I just remember that I didn't want to smoke anymore, didn't want to drink anymore, I didn't want to swear anymore, and I wanted my relationship with my boyfriend to change as well. And it wasn't that I knew that God didn't want me to behave like that. It was more the fact that, well, if I'm doing this behind mum and dad's back, then maybe God wouldn't want me to do it either. And that was all the understanding I had. And so I went back to boarding school. So this is the start of year 12. And my girlfriends couldn't get over the change in me. And, um, you know, I wasn't rebellious. There was a dorm mistress that we had and we had a mutual hatred for each other. It was really bad. And um, we would provoke each other the previous year. And uh, anyway, so this year started off just the same. She wanted to provoke me and I wouldn't bite back. And I remember one night um, her just being particularly cruel about something when I'd been trying to show her that I wasn't like that anymore. And um, I was in, in my room and in the dorm and I was just silently just crying and saying, God, I don't know how to explain to her that I'm different. And the next thing there was a knock on the door and she came and apologised. And um, just little things like that, how God would show me that he was there. So being in a strict boarding school and being year 12, we were actually allowed to go out to church every Sunday. Um, we had to go and ask permission and that. So I had eight and nine of my girlfriends, other boarders, coming to church with me because Jesus had become so real to me and they could see the change. They knew that this wasn't something, you know, airy-fairy. Um, and it impacted them as well. Some of them made decisions for Jesus as well. So the year went on. I was just still so hungry for God, just wanting to know more, reading my Bible every night. We would, you know, there was a few of us where we'd read our Bible every night and talk about things and blind leading the blind. But we were just hungry. And <clears throat> I'd like to say that I stayed a mighty warrior for Jesus. <laughs> but I didn't. And I found it hard with not knowing how to grow, how to be a Christian. There was no one around to show me. I didn't have access to any other older believers at all. Um, even with the youth pastor of a local church that, uh, you know, we'd reached out to, we weren't allowed to go to the youth group or anything like that, you know, being at school. So I didn't stay strong. And after a few months, I was back in my old sin-filled ways and worse. And it wasn't that I didn't love God anymore. I did. I loved him still. But I just didn't know how to live for him. And it really shows, showed me the importance, like now when I reflect back, the importance of Christian community and how valuable it is and how much we do need it. So at the end of the year, I finished school um, and our family moved to Queensland. They didn't want to send my brother and sister away to boarding school. 
So they thought the best thing, and also mum and dad had gotten saved and they wanted to grow in God as well. And so they wanted to go to a, a church, in, specific church in Brisbane. So our family settled in Brisbane. Gaff moved to Darwin with his job and we didn't really keep in much contact for the next probably six to eight months. Um, we'd both sort of drifted into other relationships. Um, and I just got a job, just partying, trying to live back at home, which I found really hard after having the independent supporting school. <coughs> so a month before my 18th birthday, uh, uh, my family had gone away on a family holiday I couldn't go because I was working. Um, and so I'd in, invited a friend to come over and, uh, you know, we are going to go to the movies and, uh, to, you know, get her to sleep overnight. And so she was from another culture. She had an Australian boyfriend and her parents were quite strict and said to her that she could come and stay if she had a chaperone because she didn't want... The parents didn't want her getting up to any mischief with her boyfriend. <clears throat> so she um, brought along her uncle. And he was probably in his mid-twenties. So he came to the movies with us. And then we'd come back to my house. And, uh, you know, my friend and her boyfriend, they were, you know, kissing and just doing what boyfriend-girlfriend does and everything. Anyway, this guy started kissing me and wouldn't take no for an answer. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and so that was really hard, as you can imagine, and really painful. And also me and the guilt, because I'd allowed this man in our home. And I hadn't said no right at the start. So even though what he'd done was against my will... Without my permission, I still, in my mind, that I'm, I'm to blame for this. Anyway, um, that weekend I took off and went up to another town uh, to stay with my best friend uh, to try and process all of this. And when I came back home, because I had to come back home because I had to go back to work, Gaff called me out of the blue and... Uh, like I said, he's in Darwin, moving on with his life. I'm in Brisbane, making a mess of mine. And he calls me out of the blue and he wants to know if there's any hope for a future with us. Because um, he's thinking that if there's no hope for a future, then he's going to move on with this other girl. And I told him what had happened. He was on a plane the next day. And, um, yeah, so he got on a plane and was with me then in Brisbane. And I made the decision then to move back to Darwin or to move to Darwin to live with him and be with him. And so mum and dad came home from their holiday and uh, I broke their hearts. Three days before I was 18, I moved out of home, just packed up everything I had. 
and moved out of home, broke my parents' hearts and my brother and sister's hearts and went to Darwin to live with Gav, thinking that was the answer, just escaping. So Darwin was party central in those days. It was wild. And um, so we kept on partying. Now we were into drugs. But deep in the in, on the inside, I knew that I, what I was missing was God. And God would remind us of that too. I remember um, our boss, or my boss, sorry, at Woolies, he was a born-again believer, talking about Jesus all the time. Um, one of my girlfriends at work, her... Um, mum had become a believer and then even our flatmate the girl, he, he got a girlfriend and then we find out his sister's a believer as well and so it was like God would just use different people you know to remind us that he was there um, and the bizarre thing was that even when you know we'd be stoned and I'd be witnessing to our friends because I knew God was real, like that had never left me. But I knew I just was choosing to not live the way he wanted me to live and in communion with him. So July 82, we get married. We get married in Gove. We'd always planned on, being, on getting married, um, even from dating from such a young age. And so my parents didn't come to our wedding. I had no family at our wedding, but I was okay with that. I knew that I wasn't living the way mum and dad wanted me to live. And um, so that was okay. Our relationship was quite strained when I'd, try and, when I'd call. It was because I'd really hurt them and I knew that. So that was July 82 and then come forward to October 82 and mum, we receive a letter from my mum and in the letter, she asks us to forgive her for her bad attitudes that, she's, that she had and the hurt that she'd caused us by rejecting us, not coming to the wedding and that. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, to me, she had nothing to apologise for. I was the one that had hurt her. And so a healing began then. And then Christmas Eve in um, that year, uh, friends of ours were going down to Brisbane to spend Christmas with their families. So we're just in the pub and we're talking about that. And, and they said, well, why don't you come? And we just looked at each other and thought, why don't we? So we just got on a plane the next day. In those days, who remembers standby airfares where you could just, you know, book five flights in a false name and then rock up the next day knowing that there were five spare seats on the plane <laughs> and then turn up and you've got a seat on the plane. So, <laughs> can't do that anymore. Anyway, um, so I digress, sorry. So we turn up at my parents' place and uh, was, it was either Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve, whatever, and... We got our friends to wait in the car outside just in case this didn't go well. Uh, and we had to run. And so I knocked on the door and I walked in and I 
Lucky my dad was sitting down because it would have floored him, like the look on his face. He just couldn't believe it. And mum was in the kitchen. She just ran. Ran through and just hugged me. And that whole weekend, they just loved us unconditionally. There was no judgment. There was no, why did you do that? There was no, what are you doing with your life? There was none of that. They just loved us. And um, we, uh, when, I, when we were there, because it was only for the, like, that short weekend, and uh, I thought I might be pregnant, and I was petrified. There was no way I was going to tell my mum that I thought I was pregnant. I'm 19. I haven't even got my life together, let alone bringing a child into uh, our relationship. And so I didn't say anything. Anyway, when we got home and uh, it was confirmed that I was pregnant, um, I called her and told her and she was just so happy. And she said, Joel, I'll tell you one thing. You will never stop me telling my grandchildren about Jesus. And my heart just, it was like it leapt inside because I wanted that. Because I knew that Jesus was the one who, he was safe. And he was security. And so, um, as, you know, as the time went on in my pregnancy, I found that I couldn't party like I used to because I felt so ill. So, you know, drinking was, it was just awful. Couldn't even smoke without feeling sick. It was awful. Anyway. So we go, we've got this um, pre-planned trip to Bali, all booked. We're living with friends because we're, we're going over to Bali. And uh, so I said to my husband one night, so actually before we moved in with our friends, our normal Saturday night thing was we'd go over to our mate's place, sit around, play cards and drink and, you know, to one, two, three... Four o'clock in the morning. Anyway, one time, I remember it was about one o'clock in the morning and I wanted to go home. I was feeling so sick and tired. And uh, I said to Gav, come on, let's go. And he goes, no, I don't want to go. And I said, it's late, like, let's go home. He goes, no, you can walk if you want. So me being rebellious and defiant, I thought, right, I'll show you, I'll walk. Oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I just made it home because where we lived was not a really safe area in Darwin. But I, I know that God also used that to show me because he was always reliable. Because whenever I got drunk or stoned or anything, I knew he was always there and he'd have my back and I, would, I couldn't get in trouble because he would always be there to protect me. So this instance showed me that even he would let me down. And I know that God used that to draw me back to him as well. So then we go to come March and uh, we've got this holiday planned. So we're living with these friends. And uh, I go up to bed because I'd just had enough. I was feeling really sick and I was just empty and sick of the life we were living. And uh, when he staggered up to bed, I said to him, something's got to change. And he just grunted in his stupor. And rolled over and went to sleep. But in the morning, 
he wakes up and he says, let's go to church. And I'm like, really? What? Really? And I said, well, where? What church? And, and there was this, um, like the local four square church. It was an A-frame building. So it was a really unusual sort of building. And I was always curious about, you know, what went on there. And I'd ask some people at work what sort of church it was. And that. So we went there, sat in the back row, and um, I don't remember a word. Um, but then when the call for salvation was given, up goes his hand, and the next thing, he's down the front. And um, I'm just weeping and full of, I, I just can't believe it, that he's gone and done that. Um, and so, And I'm just saying, God, I'm so sorry that we've, waited so long and so he prayed a sinner's prayer got up we left and um went to Bali and while in Bali uh I remember one morning I'm walking along Kuta Beach and uh and again I could take you exactly where I was and I'm just walking along and I'm just talking with God and I knew this, this is an all-or-nothing decision to follow him. And so when, when I got back to the room and Gaff was, um, he had barley belly and, and that, but I said to him, if we're going to do this Christianity thing, it's either all in or not in at all. I'm not going to play Christian. We're not playing Christian. I, I can't do that. And so... When we got back to Darwin, and he was of the same mind, he, he felt the same. When we got back to Darwin and we went along to the church and at that time, so now we're talking 1983, and it was like the tail end of a, of a revival that God was doing up, up north there. And uh, there was lots of young people coming in and getting saved and... Um, over the months and, you know, well, the weeks and the months and the years, you know, we celebrated weddings, celebrated babies being born, celebrated each other, you know, fulfilling the destiny and the calling that God had put on their lives and our lives. And it was just, we were just family. And it was really good and really healthy. Um, and we lived happily ever after not because now and everyone thinks don't they we get saved and then that's it everything is rainbow -uh. so now we're confronted with our marriage we're confronted with our baggage we're confronted with our mess and so okay Joe what are you going to do about it because for me there wasn't an out um and so I thought, okay. And the amount of times I can remember crying into my pillow, you know, in my time with God, my devotional time with God and praying. But I spent more time screaming and crying into my pillow so no one could hear me. Otherwise, I would have thought I was being murdered. But just out of the frustration of now I've got to live this life, but how? And so... Um, one thing that really did help at that time was there were ladies um, who were older, 
older in the faith, like they'd been Christians for two years, and I thought, whoa, you must know the Bible backwards. Like, that was just incredible. And, and they were older as well. They had older families. And a lot of them, um, their husbands were still not believers. And so when we would have our late, we had a ladies' meeting every fortnight. And just when they would share their heart and talk about things that God was doing in them. And I mean, some of them were with drunken womanizers, you know, and having a really hard time. But the when they would talk about their faith in God and what God was ministering to them, it gave me hope. And again, that comes from Christian community. And it comes from being willing to share your heart with someone else. And so those days were invaluable, not just to me, but to the other younger women as well. Because I wasn't just married, I ended up, I had a baby, I didn't know how to be a mum. And so, being in the church there was just, and being able to grow in God and ask questions was just, it really was life changing. And finding safe people that I could talk to and also know that God was there. And so, with our marriage, I had to choose to change. And I had to be intentional in the changes that I made. Whether, whether Gaff changed or not, that was going to be between him and God. But as for me, I knew that I needed to change. Because I needed to be the woman that God wanted me to be. And I needed to be the wife my husband needed me to be. Not wanted me to be, but needed me to be. There's a big difference. And so... Over years and years and years of um, healing, counselling, encouraging, God doing miracles, we have a really, really God-glorifying marriage and it's all because of God. And so God's faithfulness has just been, as I look, you know, look back and I can see his hand in so many areas and... Um, I remember when uh, Gaff told me he felt the call to preach, that God had called him to preach the gospel. And I was terrified because I don't like the limelight. I like This is so out of my comfort zone. I don't like this sort of thing. <laughs> he, it's different with him. Um, and even before we were saved, he was the life of the party and he'd be the one up there telling the stupid jokes and, you know, on the on the stair, the, you know, the railings, you know, playing air guitar to Angus Young, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Whereas I'd just sit in the, in the corner quietly and drink, you know, and laugh with my mates. So for him to say that, I just thought, oh, yeah, okay, is this just you? You want to just be a big note? Or is this really what God has for you? And so God was so faithful because he confirmed to me personally and only God knew the doubts I had. I hadn't voiced anything to him. God was the, or anyone else, God was the only one who knew the doubts I had. And yet I remember, and I can take you again, exactly where I was in church, when, and the prophecy came down and there were words and they just spoke to my heart and confirmed it to me that this is what God had for our lives. And so then... Um, 
we grew in that and that was the path that we then started to set our, our minds to and our hearts to. And so we went and we pioneered a church in Townsville, 1986. We had two children then. They were exciting days. Um, we saw incredible, incredible, just God, you know, just people turning up to church and just incredible stories, incredible times of God meeting with people and, uh, and crazy people as well. So it was just really exciting days. So we were there for about four, four and a half years and then we felt like God wanted us to move on to Ipswich in Queensland. And we were there for about two and a half years and that almost killed me. I feel like I, I died there spiritually. It was a very, very hard time. Um, a lot of spiritual opposition, you know, Satanists ringing and you know, with death threats and, like, full on. And um, went, then we went back to Darwin to assist the senior pastor there and I was just, I was crushed, I was done. It was like, no more God, that's it, done. I'd quit in my heart. Didn't want to quit on God, but I'd quit on everything else. And then bit by bit, God just totally restored me, you know, and individually and personally would speak to me then in 1997 we went to Adelaide to Elizabeth and wow that's just really different you know that just I remember saying to my husband the only reason I know I'm not in hell is because it's freezing (laughs) sorry to say but it was so hard to start with these people were so different And yet our time there of seven years, it was just, it was so precious. The people there, like what God did and the the vision he gave me for the women there, it took like seven years to see. But I remember sitting there one night and it was right towards the end when we knew we were going to leave or we knew my husband had been talking about leaving and I'd been saying, no, no, I still feel like God wants to do more. And then I'm waiting, and we're, you know, because I'd have the ladies around for a ladies' meeting of an evening so that they could all be there. And anyway, I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting for them all to shut up and stop talking so that I can talk and get on with the study or whatever it was we were doing. And it was like God said to me, it's done, because here they were all in unity together. And that was my heart, and that was what I'd wanted to bring them all together like that. And yet through those years as well, you know, that's when our son rebelled and they would be some of the toughest years of my life. And yet God was even so faithful through that because he showed me through my own rebellion that it wasn't personal against me what my son was doing. It wasn't about me and him hating me. It was just he was being a selfish teenager just like I was. It didn't lessen the pain, but it helped me bring a clarity and helped me to pray more clearly. And so when we left Elizabeth, we came here. My husband was really feeling like, and he knew that God was wanting to change the way he ministered. And so instead of pastoring a church, he went into itinerant ministry here. And so we were based in Perth 
and we came in 04. There's so much more I could say because God has done so much, but I just can't. I can't hold you any, any longer. But the unconditional love, if I can just go back to the way my parents accepted us when we walked in the door that night, that unconditional love is what led me to know that I could go back to Jesus and he had open arms. Because to me, they represented God to me, not as in I worshipped them, but they were God's mouthpiece. They were the only Christians that I really had relationship with, my mum and dad. And seeing the way that they loved us and accepted us and brought no judgment on us, I knew that I could go, to, go back to God with all my baggage. And so that was something that um, has kept me all through my, Christian, my Christianity. And that's how I've tried to love my own children and any other, any people that we have, you know, had the privilege of serving. And also my grandchildren. I want them to know that Jesus is always waiting for them with open arms, that they don't have to do A, B and C. They don't have to tick the box of anything, that he's there with open arms and he just wants relationship with them. And so for those of you that may have prodigals or that have prodigals and weep because of where they're at or what they're doing, just be encouraged that God's not finished with them yet and God, God loves them more than we do as their parents. God loves them more. And when we have that revelation, it's like we can step back and pray a different way for them. Our son came back. He's, you know, walking with the Lord, has a lovely wife, beautiful grandkids. And I'm just so grateful to God because I've done nothing to deserve the life I have. It's all been his goodness. It's been his faithfulness. And the one thing that I really enjoy about being older is the fact that I get to look back and I get to see God's hand and where he's guided me, where he's led me, where he's healed me, where he's done restoration. And so today, please, he's not far away. And more than anything, he desires a relationship with you too. I am no one special, like I said, but the contentment and the purpose and the hope that he's given me, he wants that for all of us. And if I can just finish with Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. If I can say anything, I know my heart overflows with thankfulness for what God has done. Amen.